So settle back and enjoy another afternoon of snooker. What a shot. This is so special. Brilliant. Oh, fantastic. And that'll put a little spring and a step. He's done it. This is Snooker Club. This is Snooker Club, the World Snooker Tour official podcast. Hello and welcome through the doors of the Snooker Club. I'm Stephen Hendry and he is Mark Watson. Yes, I am. Hello, everyone. On today's episode, Matchroom Chairman Eddie Hearn will be joining us to discuss his views on the game and what life was really like growing up in snooker with his dad, Barry. Last week, Chris Edwards from Kasabian set a new high score in the quiz. It was, still wasn't a massive break, it's fair to say. But we're going to find out if Eddie Hearn can be the first to hit double figures. We've also had quite a bit of correspondence from you again, the listeners, addressing some of the sport's big talking points, such as... Which snooker player smells the best? So more of that later. And since our last show, two ranking titles have been won and the Northern Ireland Open is on the horizon, which means we've got a lot to get through in our WST roundup. So let's get on with it. Welcome to episode three of The Snooker Club. How are you, Stephen? Yeah, I'm good. Talking about Northern Ireland, uh, I've actually qualifying on Wednesday night versus Matthew Stevens. So I've been... Um, practicing hard at an exhibition in the Orkney Islands over the weekend, which was interesting. Wow, what was that like? It was, um, well, to start with, I mean, they had like, the wind, the landing in Orkney was just frightening. It's, it's one of the worst landings on a plane I've ever had. Well, that and then after, thought of it horrifies me. <laughs> yeah, it was a little 36-seater. And, and, and of course, the, the captain's very blasé about it because he obviously does it two or three times a day. And he's like, yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's, going to be, it's going to be lumpy and bumpy. That must be the technical term. How we landed it, I don't know. And then when we did land, they closed the airport. So that was nice. Oh, All the yeah. ferries were cancelled. It was, um, but it was actually a great weekend. I've never been to Orkney before. I've been to Shetland um, years ago, but I've never been to Orkney. But it was really good. I did a, a Q-Tips live, at, like, a private exhibition in the afternoon, and then uh, a big exhibition in the British Legion in Orkney on Saturday night, which was, I think, one of the, the, the biggest events that Orkney's seen for, yeah. for a few years. There can't have been much competition for that stuff to do that Saturday night. That's How many were there? It was full. As I say, the, the private thing was only 12 guys in the afternoon, but um, at night it was packed. It was about 120 packed into this little room in the Royal British Legion in, in Kirkwall. British Legion so in Orkney. It's truly, yeah. Henry gets everywhere. I know, I know. These guys are in China, Macau, everywhere, and, yeah, yeah. and I'm in <laughs> you're Orkney. In, you're in Orkney. <laughs> but you could be off to Belfast then if you if you can beat Stevens. Yeah, well, it's a big if, isn't it? It's a big if. Um, um, so, well, um, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I've already played a qualifier against Stevens. He beat me. Um, so, yeah, going up to Sheffield on Wednesday for that. Well, we're trying to get out of this routine of you doing your snooker career down. So let's uh, <laughs> let's all get behind Henry here. It's a, it's a common theme, isn't it? Until I win a match, we, we just keep at it. <laughs> we do. We do need you to win. We need you to beat Stevens. We need you to at least get to Northern Ireland, yeah. <laughs> what is it best of um best of five or no it's a seven i think seven yeah it's uh three or four hours travel up my car to sheffield in the afternoon play at night and three or four hours drive back um because i've got some filming to do for the bbc uh on thursday uh for their preview of the season for their tournaments right uh, yeah. so um so yeah there's there's lots happening the season's the season's pretty much in full swing now well yeah there's been all sorts happening um there's been a couple of tournaments even since uh we last spoke um how is the practice before we move on how, how are you how are you looking on the practice table it's great my my you know i've got my draw and my fade working well my putting's good um <laughs> <laughs> great. So, so the only thing i would ask is how's the snooker 
um, yeah, yeah I, I've not had a chance to get a lot of practice in at the moment, to be fair. But um, I'm going to go up to um, Sheffield on Wednesday after early and, and get a good sort of two or three hours in, in Ding's Academy in Sheffield and uh, try and find some sort of cue action. It was working well in Orkney. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not again, I'm not, a, I'm not a coach. You're, you're the expert, but we do keep coming back to this thing that most of your practice is actually on the golf course rather than in the snooker room, and whether that could have a an impact on your on your it, tournament yeah, form. It, it, it's starting to get a bit cold now, so that I might be moving indoors soon. So um, the colder oh, it gets, the more snooker I'll play. Right, <laughs> finally, the weather's the weather might still save your snooker career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, I mean, two, as you say, two tournaments, um, and Judd Trump's won them both. Remarkable. Since the last show, um, Trump for a start won the Bet Victor English Open. Then off he went to Wuhan, and he's just beaten Ali Carter to, to win that one as well, which I don't think many people would have expected back to back wins like that. No, because um, I mean the the the, the schedule is quite it's quite a tough one for the players at the moment because basically he, he yeah. obviously won on 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 Sunday night in Brentwood and then basically flew the next day to China probably arrived the following day and then had to and, and basically had to start playing straight away but listen when 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 you're playing well and you're full of confidence you you don't mind that if you were playing badly you would like you would start pulling out excuses oh I'm tired and you know I've had a long journey and if I lose in China it doesn't matter because I've, I've but when you're winning you're on a roll and I think Judd um is is that kind of character when he's on a roll he just wants to keep playing yeah I saw a lot of people saying surely surely it would catch up with you eventually but he actually I mean he didn't just win it he breathed through most of the tournament really yeah but very impressive and I'm, I'm just wondering whether he's, he's back to his his yeah. best you know of, of sort of three or four years ago when he won five ranking tournaments and then the next season beat the record and, and actually won six ranking events in one season um yeah. i wonder if this is just back to his very best you've got to be greedy for success and, and and greedy for more and more wins and i think he's not frightened to go back to back to back to back you know so it'd be interesting to see how he, play, how he took plays in the next one as well i suppose another important ingredient is having really nice shoes and he's, he's big on that as well isn't he yeah he's, he's had some some interesting footwear i think he started he started the sort of the Christian Louboutin um, phase of, of, of <laughs> footwear, you know, the old red soles. He started that with, the old, he came down the, I think it was the Masters of First World War with the spikes in them. Yeah. Um, and, and, then, and then all of a sudden, everyone's wearing these Louboutin shoes. I mean, Louboutin must be loving Judd Trump because yeah. his snooker players want to wear them. Completely unexpected trend. You didn't see Dennis Taylor in those or Thorburn. <laughs> I've got to uh, mention while we're on outfits that, um, I don't think we've talked about this, but uh, Ding had a started a match late because um, he had the wrong colour trousers on in Brentwood right. and um, was Dr. Frame because he, he he didn't know about the dress code. He had to be in all black or something. And um, I've been on touring around and had a t- I started the show an hour late on Friday night because the train was stuck at Swindon. Um, so I just wondered if you'd ever like been late for the start of a of a match um i don't think so i don't think so because obviously you you, you do know that you get fine frames and um yeah. you know i have i have traveled so um we used to drive from scotland to go down to tournaments and i have got sort of halfway carlisle-ish and realized i forgot my cue and, oh. had, to, and I had to go back so that that's a pretty stupid thing to do as a snooker yeah. player to forget forget your cue but um yeah i was going to say i did notice in the british open that ding and we were wearing a brown suit yeah. And, so, and I think the last person with a brown suit was me in my debut at the Crucible against Willie Thorne. Um, I, and I supported I it with some that. nice brown brown shoes and uh, I think they were tan shoes and a brown tie. Um, and it's not been That's, seen since. And I think there's a good reason after seeing Ding at the British Open. <laughs> yeah, brown's often not a good look, is it? But that's interesting. I don't, I mean, I remember seeing you very, very early days, but I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I remember the brown suit. That must have been... You had a tactical rethink about your clothes after that game. Yeah, yeah. The, well, the brown suit and the mullet. 
that was that was there. That was the big thing for my debut. I remember the mullet, all right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it's been, um, as we say, quite a couple of weeks from the ace in the pack. Uh, The WST team were out in Wuhan, and uh, our man Roddy caught up with Judd after the trophy celebrations. Well, Judd, it's been quite the journey from Brentwood last Sunday to Wuhan now. Given everything you've been through over the week to try and get here and to compete in this, how highly would you rate the triumph tonight? Oh, extremely good. Uh, From where I was at the start of the tournament, I was just kind of just turned up and just hoping for the best. And I didn't really give myself much of a chance, but I was so relieved to have won the title last week that it was kind of just a bit of a free-for-all, just no matter what happened after getting that title, it didn't, nothing really mattered. Um, it's not until maybe you get to the semi-final stage down to one table that you really want to win again. So, obviously when you get to the final, you never want to be on the losing end. And I think my, my record in the finals over maybe the past five or ten has not been as good as it was before. So it was always nice to, to get the win against um, Zhang and, and and now again, um, against Ali, so it's always nice to get to the final and win them. It, you just feel like it gives you just that little bit more momentum. Yeah, I mean, obviously last season you won the Masters and by most people's book that is a, a brilliant season regardless of what else happens, but you had had that little kind of ranking title drought to have ended it last week so emphatically and then now won this. How high is your confidence now and how much, as you say, of a relief is it to be back in the winner's circle in that regard? Yeah, I, it was extremely high at the start of the season. I felt like I was playing really well in practice and took that into the, the European Masters and just fell short against Barry, who was playing extremely well. So I knew the form was there. It's just about having that bit of luck at the right times, which I don't feel like has been happening. Uh, and then it, obviously your confidence gets knocked and, and you don't win. So I feel like every season starts again fresh. It's, it's so different from the season before and this season has been completely different than, than last season. Got off to an extremely good good start. It's, it's probably as good as I've um, ever started a season. So I've already been in three finals, one, two. No matter what happens now, it's just just a bonus. I'd like to have a couple of days off and regroup, but that's that's not what's going to happen. So hopefully I can just kind of ease over the next few days, get back and, and to be honest, it doesn't really matter what happens there. Um, then straight after is another big event back in China. So. There's so much snooker to play in this season. It's, it's nice for everyone to feel like you're full-time again. Hello, I'm Mark Watson. I'm Stephen Hendry. And this is Snooker Club, the World Snooker Tour official podcast. Now, as we said earlier, the tour returns to Belfast next week for the Bet Victor Northern Ireland Open. And one of the favourites to lift the title is Kyron Wilson, who caught up with Mark earlier on this week. So I've got Kyron Wilson um, and Patch, his dog, here. I don't know which one is going to take the questions. Might be a bit of both. How are you doing, Kyron? Yeah, not bad, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. Nice to meet you. And um, I'm going to take the opportunity to ask a question, which is the sort of thing that a, a fan wonders at home. Um, where did the Warrior nickname come from? It was kind of quite a long-winded story, actually. It depends how long you've got, Mark. Uh, <laughs> probably, well, try me. <laughs> we can always cut it down. It's, uh, it came from sort of my junior days. Um, we used to set, we used to play sort of best of fives, best of seven matches, and the amount of times I would go sort of two nil or three nil behind and sort of bring it back and win. Um, right. some of the lads, there was a lad called um, Ashley from Birmingham. He used to call me the Warrior because I would always find a way of battling back into the find match. a way to win. Yeah, and uh, it obviously goes quite well. Um, off the with back Wilson. Of Wilson, so yeah, there we go. 
Yeah, I don't think that was that long-winded, to be fair. <laughs> we can use that. <laughs> I, could have, I could have made it a lot more extravagant, but um, I totally yeah, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Do you feel like you've still got that in you as a player? Like one of your qualities is sort of refusing to, to go down? Yeah, I'm from sort of a very strong-willed family. Um, my dad suffers with um, MS, multiple sclerosis. So um, mm. he's like a real battler, um, like every day battling qualities. So I think I get a lot of that from him. And going back to the the warrior nickname, he used to when I would go two or three nil down in a in a junior competition, he would sort of whisper to me, "Listen, I'm off. I'm I'm going to go and start the car," um, <laughs> as wow. if to like fire me up. So I would always want to prove him wrong, but he knew what he was doing. That's clever and, stuff. Uh, reverse psychology yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. So um, it's been installed into me from from sort of a young age. That's quite, is, I mean, it could go either way. That I reckon if my dad had said that, I might have just started crying. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the yeah, I'll be with you in five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, I'll just throw this frame, then I'll see you, see you out of the back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> has the has the travelling been, you were at Brentwood and Cheltenham? Yeah, so it's just great to, to have the sort of the tour moving again and plenty yeah, of opportunity. Be. Yeah, every week there's, you know, you you set, you know, a reset button and you go again and, to be honest, it's been a little bit of a killer for me not being in Wuhan. It's been yeah. tough to watch that. You know, I wanted to be a part of it. Um, I've really enjoyed going back to China. So um, Your son has been watching it on the telly, so to make it worse, you, you're surrounded by it. Yeah, exactly. My, my youngest, Bailey, um, he's only six years old. Every morning, obviously, with a time difference in China, every morning before school, it's mum, you know, can I, can I have snooker on? So, obviously, Eurosport's gone on the TV. He's watching it, so I've sat there no. watching it with him, yeah. There's not that many six-year-olds that are getting up and watching the Wuhan Open before school, I reckon. No, that's so. it, that's it. He's uh, he's definitely one of a kind. <laughs> well, where was the qualifying then? So the qualifying was um, a number of weeks ago in Leicester. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, I was a bit unfortunate, to be honest. Um, I lost 5-4 on the black to a, a debutant um, Chinese professional who was a real talent, um, one to watch out for, as there is so many youngsters coming through now, especially from China. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he beat me 5-4 on the black, which was a bit of a kick in the teeth. A black ball finish with a, a whole trip to China resting on it is a big one, isn't it? Yeah, and obviously, you know, I've, I've been very lucky. I've got um, some fantastic sponsors out in China that are looking after me over the next couple of seasons. So, um, yeah, I've enjoyed meeting up with them in, in Shanghai so far, and it would have been nice to have met with them again in, in Wuhan. Yeah. But um, there's plenty more opportunity. So, yeah, as I said before, just, just hit the reset button and go again. And you're off to Belfast now, or are you already in Belfast, in fact? No, we're going... Um, I play on Sunday, so we're travelling over yeah, right. on Saturday. Um, yeah, love Belfast. Always love going over. You know, as soon as you, you get off the aeroplane, jump into a taxi, the stories come out of the great Alex Higgins. Um, unfortunately, I never got to meet him, but I love listening to all the guys' sort of memories. Yeah. Of fascinating. So, yeah, love going over there. Real snooker heritage there, isn't there? What's the, uh, what's the venue like? Awesome, yes. Yeah, the waterfront, um, the waterfront hall in, in Belfast. Yeah, they have, they've had sort of many great sort of uh, rock stars. I think Rod Stewart was there not long ago. So, um, yes, yeah, a little bit of a different vibe with the snooker, but yeah, brilliant nonetheless. How are you feeling about your form? Obviously, you had a pretty good end to last season. How, how far off your best are you? I suppose it's hard to know until you get out there, is it? Yeah, it's it's a little bit frustrating because 
I feel like something very special is around the corner. Um, mm. In terms of my practice form, in terms of you know my century count this season, I'm right up there with the top lads. Yeah. Um, I've just had some really good performances against me, so you just have to take it on the chin, accept that it's going to happen from time to time, and um, you've just got to move on. So I, yeah. I feel good. I, you just, you know, especially with snooker, you need a little bit of luck along the way as well. Yeah, I suppose I always think it watching like you, it is one sport where there's not much you can do about it if the other player is on fire. Sometimes, I guess you've just exactly. got to sit there. Well, this is why, you know, I'm going to be biased, but I do believe it is the toughest sport in the world um, purely because sometimes you can't respond to what your opponent does. Yeah, there's hardly any there's hardly any sports where you're that powerless, really, I guess, if if someone yeah. else just keeps on getting the balls. Yeah, I mean, like technically, you'd, you'd say sort of your golf is is right up there with snooker. Yeah. But for me, you know, if, if a golfer hits a hole in one, you then have that opportunity to hit that same hole in one. Um, yeah, there aren't many sports where you point. just you literally just don't get a go. <laughs> yeah, and the the toughest part is it took me a long time to come to terms with it, but you do just have to accept it, you know. And it's, mm. it's difficult. You put all the hours in under the sun, and sometimes it doesn't go your way. But, you know, that's that's part and parcel of being a an elite sportsman, if you like. Yeah, just coming back, coming back yeah. again and again, like yeah. a warrior. Exactly, yeah. Oh, well, good <laughs> luck in Belfast, Karen. Enjoy yourself. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it. Hello, I'm Jed Trump. And whenever I'm flying around the world, I listen to the World Snooker Tour podcast, The Snooker Club. So that was uh, Karen Wilson, one of the favourites uh, in Belfast, although... Stephen's being very modest. He also is among the favourites, as uh, as we've already heard, just just as soon as he qualifies. I didn't ask Kyron about this, Stephen, but he's been um he's been wearing a glove in some recent um yeah tournaments, which uh is the sort of thing that people get quite animated about on on social media. What do you make of it? I don't think I've ever seen that before. I, I've never seen it. I've seen it a lot in pool, um, and I know obviously kyron has been spending a bit of time in China at the start of the season, and obviously the the weather out there can sometimes the, the arenas can be a little bit sticky. Um, mm. I did play an event out there, and 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 when I used to go out there doing the Chinese pool stuff, um, there was occasions where I did put one of these gloves on because I said it was, the queue was getting so sticky. Um, yeah. But in the UK, I don't think the conditions warrant having a glove. No, um, I mean it's quite warm in Cheltenham, but it's not exactly China, is it? The sort of indoor sort of atmosphere of the venues here, I don't think warrant it. But maybe he just he, he used it in China and just liked it. I I don't know, but yeah. um, he wearing a glove. I mean, next they'll be having a, a chalk pouch hanging out their trousers or something. I don't I don't know. I mean, it's <laughs> what was what what next? <laughs> yeah, maybe put a logo on it. Maybe that's the idea. He's going to start yeah, with get, a glove and then have a logo on it. Yeah, it's right in view of the camera, isn't it? Actually, it couldn't be more in view of the camera. You're right. Yeah, maybe he's playing the long game, looking for someone yeah, to. Yeah, uh, plan. Yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a few bits. Obviously, often the waistcoats have got logos all over them, but you start getting them on your gloves, back of your trousers, maybe. Because I always thought snooker player, why, why, why snooker players never had sort of watch contracts? Because yeah. like the watch just, is right and right on the shot. Maybe get a, a sponsor's logo sort of into the back of your head, branded like that. Because <laughs> you've seen a lot of the back of players. <laughs> your fingernails, little logos yeah. on your fingernails or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's loads of missed opportunities. Players are always saying there's not enough prize money, but they just got to be creative. <laughs> you could have little logos on your glasses. <laughs> what do you make of Kyron's chances? He's one of these interesting players who. Uh, Oh, just always knocking about the the latest ages of the worlds, and you know, he's a very 
sort of steady player. Um, he's, he's not someone that I would think, you know, at the, these big tournaments, he's not someone that I would put in as, as one of the sort of four or five that you fancy, like the, one of the real favourites. I don't think he's, yeah. he's in the sort of the top level yet, the top drawer, the likes of a Sullivan, you know, Trump, Selby. Yeah. Um, people that, that, that are the real sort of, you know, well, I was going to say Robertson, but I don't know what we maybe talk about Robertson. I don't know what's happened to his form either. Um, yeah, he'll be included. And, and Kyron's sort of in that sort of rung below. Not serial winners, yeah, but, but capable will. of winning any tournament they enter. Yeah, yeah, and capable of, of knocking out one of the big guys. Mm. Yeah, he's definitely got a chance. There's no, there's no doubt about it. He's one of he's one of the best players in the world. And and um and the, uh, you know the fact that they're, they're you know we know there's going to be players missing from this event. Um yeah. So so you know some of the top players are looking. Well, there's you know he's not in it. He's not in it. He's not in it. You know maybe maybe opens up the draw for for myself and um, someone like Jack as well who we keep talking about. Um, yeah. You know, not having not won, maybe this is the kind of tournament that, that he might look at. He must be desperate for people to talk about, to stop talking about when he's going to win one. Maybe he can just like sneakily win this one in Northern Ireland. It would, it would lift. <laughs> a, it must be difficult. Um, I mean, there's so much of the game is psychological anyway. I guess we've, we've touched on Neil Robertson. Um, mm. I saw him posting on socials saying that he's just a bit burnt out, basically. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen that. Yeah, hasn't been back to Australia for a few years and yes. stuff like that. I suppose you. It's interesting. You never really think about it. He's one of the. There's not many players in that situation where they're they're living on the other side of the planet. You know, most of the year round or that because we haven't seen an Australian player like that since I don't know Eddie Charlton or something. So do you reckon psychologically? He also said that he he wishes he'd gone home at the end of last season, mm-hmm. like when he'd had the best season of his career. Can, can you sort of can you sympathise with that thing? Just like it's yeah, your, I mean, your the- life, conditions of your life just affecting your form. You know. It, it's you obviously can't comment on someone because you've never been in that situation. So yeah, you know, part of me wants to be, you know, the, the sort of tough um, snooker pundit and say, you know, get on with it. Um, yeah, you know, just like you are when player. you're talking about how players shouldn't be friends and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 and, and you, got you, you know, you've, you've got your close family with you, your wife, and you can, and 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 you should be, you know, concentrating on that. But then the other side of the coin is you, you've got to, you've got to cut the guy some slack and say, well, I've never been in that situation. Yeah. How does it feel to be away from your family for that length of time? Um, yeah. And, it, and it's, and, and, it, and it's got, it's got to be, it's got to be difficult. Um, obviously all the Chinese players that live in the UK, they've got the, the sort of situation that their families are on the other side of the world as well. But I think with the Chinese tournaments, they get to go back quite often. Yeah. There's at least quite a lot with, of stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. There's, and there's no Australian tournaments. So there's, there's really, um, you know, there's, there's 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 no time. You know, you hope that he gets back to form quickly because you know I, I read in that that thing on, on on Instagram that he's thinking of taking another you know missing a two or three tournaments at the end of the year, which are tournaments like well the we well, you, you hope not the UK Championship, which yeah. is at the end of the year, um, and obviously I think uh, is it the Scottish Opens possibly that that time as well. You know, you 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 hope he does what's best for him, and 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 if he does go, when he comes back. You know the Neil Robertson that 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 we that we know, uh, one of the best players in the world. Yeah, I suppose he's thinking the weather will be really nice down there at the end of the year. Whereas if you'd gone after the Worlds in, in May or June, it's not it's not as warm in Melbourne. It might Possibly. be that. <laughs> I guess when a player is that good, though, they're always going to come back to to form eventually. You'd think. Well, it's 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 not guaranteed. I mean, I don't think sport is going. You know, it, it's you can't just switch it on and switch it off. You know, no. and, and that's you know he's struggling. He's struggling at the moment, and you can't just go go away and take a couple of months off and go and, try and come back and expect to just switch back on. I mean, it's it's 
again, it's it's I've never been in that situation, but I mean, it's 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 going to be difficult. I mean, I suppose that the the argument for that is Ronnie Sullivan took a year off and came back and won the world championship. Yeah, but so, he's a freak, so, of course. <laughs> so so maybe a, a, a proper break will do Neil Robertson the world of good. So obviously, Mark Allen is the reigning champion. Uh, mm. In Belfast, and it's his home tournament. How big an advantage mm. do you think it it gives him, or does it put does it put pressure on if it's your if it's your your sort of home crowd? I think I mean, I think he's won the last two, hasn't he? he defended it. I think he's won it the last two years. Um, yeah, right. In fact, so there yeah, you go. So it's, so, his, it's his tournament. It's, he's yeah. Got so I mean, it's, obviously, the home crowd doesn't put pressure on him, um, no. which it would it would affect a lot of players. So I mean, you've got to hand it to him. That's um, to have that sort of expectation behind you as the local favourite and to come out on top two years in a row, that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, it always sounds quite raucous in Belfast as well when you watch it on the on the TV. It sounds like a, a spicy atmosphere there. It's, it's a great venue, the waterfront. I've played I've played a few times. I've played a, a, a tournament there and I've played a few exhibitions there when it's been full um, and it's a fantastic atmosphere. And yeah, they love their snooker over there um, and, and they get involved uh, vocally as well, which um, I think Mark, Mark likes. As I say, to do the hat trick, that would be some achievement because he's not—he's not, he's not the, the best start to the season. So um, yeah, no, he'll, just, he'll be hoping to kickstart his season with this one. He's home event. But again, if he runs into you, then he's in trouble. Well, that's well, that's it. You know what I mean? If if I if I get one if I get one win under my belt, you know they're all in trouble. <laughs> it, it, it might be that we have this running joke for the the whole history of the podcast until. Yeah. But like, yeah, I hope not. I want it to end. Let's. I'm. I'm I'm really hyping this qualifying match. Were you match. there when Stephen Hendry won a frame? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, might, I might show up in Sheffield and I'll be the one guy watching. <laughs> and there are still some tickets available for the Belfast tournament. If you go to, um, as usual, wst.tv, I would, I mean, I can't go, but I would if I could. It sounds like a cracker. And, the, and obviously, again, with those handful of players missing, could be an unexpected winner. So yeah, get your tickets. Hi, my name's Ali Carter, and when I'm flying my aeroplane, I change the frequency to the World Snooker Tour official podcast. Welcome back to Snooker Club with me, Mark Watson, and Stephen Hendry. There's a dog making a hell of a noise outside, but hopefully uh, that's not affecting the podcast. Um, thank you once again to everyone that has got in touch with us, uh, snookerclub at wst.tv. One of the things we wanted to do with this podcast was to just like, reach as many people as possible, not necessarily people that are massive snooker fans, although... Obviously, we want uh, we want those as well. Um, so we're trying to build up a sense of community here, read out as much correspondence as we can, um, and uh, sort of, as it were, invite everyone um, to be part of the Snooker Club. We're sort of metaphorically inviting you as members. And so hopefully you'll get a sense of it being a kind of um, a virtual Snooker Club that you're actually, that we're actually all part of, because, you know, Snooker is a lot about community. Uh, among others, this week we've welcomed in uh, Ted Wilcox from Vancouver Island, uh, in Canada, Peter Emery from County Durham, Alex Cross, and Nick Ball, which is a useful name for a snooker fan, asks, um, yeah, a couple of burning questions for Stephen, which you might not know this, Stephen, but uh, which snooker player smells the best? Nick wants to know. Oh, uh, I think Sean Murphy. He loves a bit of Creed, and he does. And he does. He does smell wonderful. Um, I, th- I think even Ronnie commented we played him at the World Championship because you sit so close together. Um, yeah. That he said, "Oh, Sean." At his press conference after him, he said, uh, "And he smelled wonderful." <laughs> <laughs> so I think yeah. he's, he's he's got to be up there. I mean, we don't want to go down the road of who smells the worst, do we? I mean, that's that's. Well, we, I think some listeners might want to go down that road, but that that's a more uh, sort of <laughs> controversial area. Yeah. 
if you draw Sean Murphy, it, you know, win or lose, it's going to be an absolute treat to smell him anyway. Well, absolutely. I mean, it, I mean, it just goes to show how long we've come since you're sitting next to someone smoking a fag um, at, the, at the Crucible. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, and now you're, you're, you notice someone's aftershave. Um, yeah, I can still remember the, the days, but we used to, presumably you were playing, were you, when someone was smoking? Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you look. I mean, it's incredible to look back. Even it's bizarre. When, yeah. When you think about your your practice in your snooker clubs, and you go home, and you know, I, I've never smoked a cigarette in my life, but you go and you'd be you'd be smelling of it because obviously you're around everything. And and yeah, yeah. Terry Griffiths used to chain smoke in his chair. Um, and 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 you, and if you played these players, um, quite often they'd leave a, a lit cigarette in their chair while they were at the table, and you're <laughs> sat there with it, and that's smelling it. So I mean, it's it was it was a horrific situation to be honest with you, looking back. It's incredible. But, uh, now now you have to bother about just getting a waft of Sean Murphy's Creed. Which is yeah, the, the worst that can happen now is just beautiful aftershave smells. Yeah. It, I mean, looking back, it doesn't inspire much confidence someone's going to make a big break if they've just left a lit fag on the chair. <laughs> it's, not, it's not sending out uh, the right message to your opponent, I don't reckon. Yeah. If you get to three all with Stevens in Sheffield, you should get a, a fat cigar out <laughs> just to try and get in his head. Have it between your fingers while you break off. <laughs> well, and there was, I mean, obviously there was boozing as well mm-hmm. like, within living memory at the Crucible, which again is it's quite difficult to believe in your head. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is. I think one or two still maybe have a, a, a little one before they go out just to sort of, you know, sort of calm themselves a little bit. I would, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, or, or, you know, just to sort of take, take, the, take the, the nerves away. But yeah, it's totally banned as it is in, in darts as well, which is correct. Yeah. You can't be on TV um, doing that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, there used to be the situation. I think Ken Doherty, um, he worked as an usher at the Irish Masters, and uh, so he had to take the drinks to the players. And Alex Higgins said to him that when whenever you I ask for orange juice, it's uh, vodka and orange juice. Vodka and orange, the old trick. <laughs> um, and uh, so yeah, it's uh, he, he he Alex was obviously famous for 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 that sort of thing. The game has sort of cleaned itself up quite a bit yeah. for uh, for better or worse. Um, it's interesting actually. I also don't smoke, but. Being a comedian, it's, I've got the same memories of coming home and all your clothes stinking just from mm. just from that atmosphere. Then twenty years yeah. ago, yeah. yeah. This leads on actually the idea of um, the distraction of uh, like the smell of another player. Because an, another question Nick asked, which is good, is is what um what is the most distracting thing that a player has ever done or an audience member during a during um, a match? I mean, it's not happened to me versus a Sullivan, but there's been various instances when he's broke wind while he's been at the table. <laughs> Which exactly. is obviously not going to be the best smell if you approach the table. Um, you know, well, that's it, it, almost like gamesmanship, basically. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. You, you, you've got a safety battle, and the cue balls come back to the ball end, and he plays his shot, drops one, goes back to his seat, and you've got to come through this fog to get to the ball. I mean, that's that's yeah, pretty distracting. I mean, yeah, when, you, when you, you've got enough trouble getting back in bulk with that, without having yeah. to think about and he, that. And he blames the refs all the time. Uh, I bet he does. Well, again, that's the oldest <laughs> trick in the book, isn't it? Sneaky oldest <laughs> living. What about um, spectators? You've talked. We've seen like phones go off and stuff at the yeah. Crucible, and people. I've seen people really get told off by refs for like rustling sweet packets or stuff like that. Yeah, I mean the the, the thing the thing in snooker, obviously, it's so quiet that you you hear you hear yeah. everything, and you can. I mean, the the coffin is the obvious thing that that yeah. you, that that you that you hear a lot. Um, there was there was at one instance again going back to the, that that previous subject and that the masters someone put in one of those fart machines um, into the into the arena the remote control ones. That's and they, unbelievable. I know I know and they they, they put in the, they actually placed it quite close to the the set and they were obviously sat in the audience 
and they were pressing. So it's like that. That's that was obviously pretty distracting. Um, that is, uh, yeah. Because, again, yeah, because it, it gets what, what it does it obviously gets the crowd all laughing and everything and then it's it takes a while for it to settle down and stuff yeah um, there's sometimes a weird moment watching on tv where everyone is laughing at something but you don't you don't necessarily know what it is at home you just see the players yeah like, it's tear down the shot suddenly gets up everyone's giggling yeah. and you think i wonder what i missed there i know and, and also as commentators we've got to be really we've got to be really careful because obviously a great you know vast majority of the crowd are wearing the earpieces to hear the commentary so I mean, it's obviously not yeah. me because I because I'm not funny. But you get someone like Dennis Taylor who says something funny, and then the crowd laugh, and that distracts the players. Yeah, the players, and so, so then sometimes we we get dirty looks from the players up to the commentary box because they know it's come from us. And I'm and I'm I feel like saying no 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 it's it's not me it's him. It's not yeah me. yeah. <laughs> I think Somewhere. I think they kind of know it wouldn't be me said telling a joke. But um, we've got to be careful when, when you know in terms of timing of when we when we say certain things. Yeah, I've not really thought about that, the crowd reacting to, to your commentary. So you've got to be as boring as possible, basically, is your role in the commentary box. That doesn't put any stress on my character, believe me. <laughs> you feel like you're pulling it off quite well at the moment. <laughs> oh, those guys coincidentally um, called Mark and Stephen, who play these epic best of 35 contests, have been back in touch. They say we play once a week for five frames. So each series takes about five weeks. Um, obviously, they're the coincidence of their names being the same as us, and they're from Bristol. And one of them has the nickname Flip Flop. And of course, your <laughs> flip flop wearing came up in the these guys are getting creepily close to us. It, it, it does feel a lot more and more every episode like we've invented them to try and sound popular. And on top of it, one of them says the guy that got in touch says I was doing some chauffeur driving and I picked up some of Kasabian after their Glastonbury gig to drive them to London. So there you go. Wow. Um, he also met Bradley Cooper on the same the same trip <laughs> in the backstage area. Lovely guy, he says. Well, good luck with your latest battle, Mark and Stephen, and stay in touch. Got a feeling they will. We also asked for fantasy bands with uh, with snooker players. Perhaps not surprisingly, Sean Murphy comes up again. Uh, Liam McMullen says, Sean Murphy on piano, Barry Hawkins on cello, steel drums, Dominic Dale on vocals. Why not me um, after the mass singer? Surely I'm the, vo- surely I'm the vocal king now. It's It's... Yeah, I don't think... We've not I mean, Dominic I may only Dale have on two the- songs in my repertoire. But, oh, sorry, three, but I mean... It's, it's, it's an injustice that you've been overlooked. I mean, someone else has gone for, or Satjinder on Twitter has gone for Joe Johnson as a singer because he yeah, actually he, was yeah, a singer. He, he can he? Sing. Alex Higgins just on stage dancing like Bez, <laughs> which you can sort of see it, actually. If Higgins wasn't a band, he'd be the, the slightly frightening one on the corner of the stage just doing it, <laughs> shaking it around. Wasn't Joe Johnson still a, he still was a singer when he won the, when he came out of nowhere to win it, in fact. Yeah, yeah, he 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 was a real singer. Ken Doherty is a bit of a singer as well. Is he? Um, or, or or he thinks he thinks he is. Uh-huh. Um, we we we've, we've been in sort of um, karaoke bars in China together, and he he basically sings. Um, he goes through Boyzone's repertoire. Um, <laughs> of course he does. And, and he's and he's, and, and 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 if anyone is in the hotel in Sheffield during the World Championship, it, on one at least one or two nights, him and JV will be up there singing, and Ken will be singing the Irish songs. Dennis Taylor will be on the spoons. That'll be another band, you know, on the spoons in the corner. Dennis Taylor. Um, Brilliant. So you can yeah. make an all-Irish band out of out of yeah, players, basically. Most definitely, yeah. Does, does Ken sit down to sing like? Uh, oh, like he stands up. No, he gives it the full. <laughs> yeah, he gives it the right. full one. Yeah. He's not a he's not a boy band guy. Yeah. Mark Selby's a bit of he loves to sing. Oh, I find that quite hard to imagine for some yeah, reason. Mark I can't Selby picture Selby in the karaoke booth. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves to sing it after the world championship parties. He's always up there. Rob That's... Walker would be the dancer like Bez. Yeah, that that I can see. You can yeah. imagine Walker 
sort of just gyrating around the stage. He is. Uh, I've never known anyone like just love dancing as much as I, he went in. Actually, we were in where were we Hull, and he went at, left a bar. We had, we had a couple of drinks after the session finished, and about one in the morning, he decided to go on his own to a bar to a disco in Hull to dance. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's, <laughs> that'll be the first time in history someone's gone on their own to a disco in Hull. I would say. <laughs> In terms of what we're asking uh, listeners this week, um, well, we've already mentioned sponsorship and the fact that we feel snooker players are missing the opportunity to sort of cover themselves in more logos. So um, our uh, our question this week is, what would your dream sponsor be if it gave you a lifetime supply of basically whatever they made? For example, Trump, um, there's an old picture of Trump with Burger King as his logo. He's probably gone a, a bit upmarket um, from there. But you imagine that he, he could pretty much get an unlimited supply of Burger King if they were sponsors, which would be, you know, an amazing blessing for everyone. So, the, yeah, the question is, who would you like to be sponsored by? It could be like, I mean, it would be cigars for you probably, would it, Steve? Uh, yeah, or, or golf balls probably. Yeah, golf, <laughs> golf balls. Back onto golf. How many How many did you get through? Um, I get through a few. I get through a few. Um, but yeah, but I'm, I'm trying trying to think about that. I'm an ideal sponsor. Obviously, people will say, and that Burger King could probably be my sponsor. The way the way the way the way that I've changed shape in the last two or three years. For me, it's probably don't know. I eat a lot of beans on toast. If I could just get Heinz to sponsor me, that I'd I'd be away. And I'd happily wear their logos on on my top of stage. Actually, <laughs> people just think I was doing it for a joke. An airline would be pretty handy or something like that. But again, I'm just I can't get my head past the the baked beans we're also always interested in your most mundane sighting of a snooker player or another sports person uh, a question by the way which um we will say unwittingly borrowed or stole from but we definitely we didn't deliberately steal it but anyway it was um has come up before on snooker scene the excellent podcast by dave hendon so uh, apologies to dave and a shout out to him excellent podcaster and we'll be listening to see what else we can nick off you uh, in future episodes dave <laughs> Uh, we've again had a lovely crop of these. Ryan says he saw Judd Trump in a harvester, which I haven't been in a harvester for, for many, many years. Um, there is one in Bristol, though, I remember, and that, that might have been where it was, actually. Mark says he saw Barry Hawkins at Currency Exchange at Heathrow, and he was on his way to the European Masters, which he then won. So that's a come good back. one. A currency Exchange, that's a good one. That, that know, is who's, who's still... Who's still even changing money at a currency exchange? Everyone's just got a card <laughs> these days, surely. Yeah. The thought of the hawk with 500 uh, euros in his pocket. Um, Michael Fane in Antwerp bumped into Ali Carter in McDonald's, Graham Dot walking down the street, and Mark Williams in the gents' toilets. This is all presumably separate incidents, but um, there we go. Antwerp's obviously not big enough for snooker players yeah, to get all, away from all that when, when we can, is he stalking snooker players? Well, it sounds a lot like it. Yeah, I mean, that, that is a suspicious number of uh, <laughs> encounters. Yeah, so we've taken these details and passed them on to the police. Um, <laughs> a couple of sightings of Hendry. Uh, Justin Heaton says he saw Stephen in a whiskey shop in York. <laughs> that sounds pretty likely. Um, I mean, any, all of these are plausible. The only place you wouldn't expect to see Stephen is a snooker club these days, as we've heard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Alexander McMillan says, when I was about 15, I was playing in junior snooker comps in uh, Spencer's Club in Stirling, where Stephen Hendry practiced. Uh, I was rubbish, never won a game. But one Saturday morning in there, Hendry made two maximums in a row. He says That's he right, might have been playing Maguire. Against, he says, it might have been Chris Shade or Stephen Maguire, he says. Maguire it was. Um, mm. I went for a quick pee, says the guy, used the urinal next to him. As we washed our hands, I said, two 147s this morning. And he said, aye, 
I went out there, <laughs> lost 3-0 again. Legend. <laughs> Honestly, tremendous conversationalist I was, even then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely sparkling. To be fair, the, the toilet's not always a place you want to strike up a conversation. But at least he remembered I washed my hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if, if anyone's got any... Uh, Encounters where Henry's been absolutely disgusting, then let's have them for the sake of balance. <laughs> oh no! <That's, laughs> how often did it happen that you made uh, more than one one four seven in it? Like, no, that, that that was the only time I did two in a row. That is um, incredible. I did I did have sessions where I made a couple in a session, but two frames in a row. That's I did the only time I did it was once, um, that and that was against absolutely. Maguire. Yeah. Mad to think about. Yeah, Maguire just yeah. sitting there for ages. <laughs> 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 and again, that's the sort of form we want to see this week. Uh, against Matthew Stevens. Yeah. <laughs> if Stevens is listening to this, he'll be terrified by now. Well, keep the correspondence coming into Snooker Club at WST.tv, or you can get in touch on social media. Uh, just search for World Snooker Tour on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Hey, I'm Neil Robertson. When I'm building and painting Warhammer models, I'm tuning into WST's official podcast, Snooker Club. Now, um, it's time to welcome this week's guest, a man who, well, needs no introduction. But we're going to do an introduction because this is a podcast and you, you can't actually see him. It is, well, he's the head of Matchroom, Eddie Hearn. Hello, Eddie. Hello, Mark. How are you? Eddie, how are you? Hey, Steve. You all right? Good, mate. What have you been up to recently? Busy? Yeah, I was uh, just been out for a run. And at the weekend, we was up at the Misfits card, the YouTube boxing. I got bullied by my daughter to go up there. Um, oh. Even though, like, reading my DMs on, on the social media, you would have thought I actually promoted the show. I've never had so much abuse for a show. I said, it wasn't even <laughs> <laughs> what do you actually think of that stuff what, yeah. what's your opinion of it as a as an event promoter you can't ignore that there were twenty thousand people in manchester but the product as a diehard fight fan is yeah. awful but you're talking about guys like they could choose to do anything you imagine i mean we're of a snooker pod right you imagine that logan paul and ksi turned around and said we're going to have a frame of snooker for a million dollars yeah right and we're going to stream it live and there'll be a long queue of snooker players <laughs> yeah. there'll be plenty of volunteers i reckon yeah the problem is they don't want the snooker player they don't want the boxers they just want the youtubers who have yeah. got yeah. 10 15 20 million youtube subscribers five six seven 20 million instagram followers and when you have that profile you have that platform it's actually very easy to engage with your audience so they chose yeah. boxing We've just got to try and find a way that that can actually benefit the sport in the long run. itself. If they played a frame of snooker, would all those people that tuned in turn up or buy a ticket or tune in to watch the Masters or the Worlds? You know, that's the argument in boxing. Are they being converted to fight fans? Yeah, or are they just are they just watching a sort of sideshow and then they move on to something yeah. else? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Isn't it? It's quite hard to imagine it in snooker, really. But who knows? Maybe that is what they'll do. It's, it's, it's hard for the hardcore. It's hard for the enthusiasts. Yeah. I was there just, with my daughter for her birthday. She said, I said, best night I've ever had. <laughs> just like a hardcore snooker fan would be watching those two playing snooker game. They can't even pot a ball. That, yeah. Like, does, the, does that particular audience really care? That's, that's yeah. the issue. No, you're right. They're there to see the famous guys. And mm. it's true. Once you've got a platform that size, you could they could pretty much do bowls and people would still yeah. pack it out, I reckon. Yeah. What's your relationship like with snooker these days, Eddie? Because it must have been very odd being able to, sort of unable to escape it when you were growing up. Yeah, like, I mean, my early memories of snooker was just really going into the Romford Club for a toasted ham sandwich. You know, probably from the age <laughs> of, I don't know, blimey, nine, ten, eleven. Yeah. And 
there was um like a security buzzer downstairs where someone would press the the buzzer to get in and i would just go there after school or in the holidays and sit there because you could see it on the camera and i'll just wind people up so you'd get all these characters come in and say you know oh buzz me up i'll be like buzz you up who's that and you'd be, you know who's it? <laughs> like my entertainment but going up those stairs <laughs> to the match room i guess as a kid it was just it was like a weird environment of strange people to me you know it's like I remember opening the big doors, they're all mirrored doors and you'd open them and you just see this other world of like yeah. murky, don't forget people were smoking then, you know, it was like hazy in there and I would turn right, I mean Steve you remember the old match, you know, I would yeah. turn right and I would go to the bar and I would sit there and there was a very nice old lady and I would say, oh toasted, I'll toast your ham sandwich <laughs> and I'd just sort of sit there and watch all these people and I guess at the time I wasn't really digesting who there was and who was playing but it was just a strange world, you know, yeah. a natural world, because it was a world that I grew up in. And yeah, that you were used to. And he would walk in there and there would be, I know, you know, you talk about characters, not just playing snooker, but around snooker. Back mm. then, it was like, you know, there was Blind Les, you know, there was Robbo, the driver. <laughs> and Go then, Robbo, I remember. I was in there recently with your dad. Yeah, doing because I did my YouTube channel with your dad in there, and it was and it, it was so funny because I arrived late, and your dad was just sat in the bar chatting to all the local guy. Yeah. It was like it was like he was one of them. It was incredible. Yeah, and you're he, right, it was it was like a it's a real old school. As you'd say you walk up the stairs, real old school snooker club, and obviously we went and we had a few frames. And your, your dad's quite useful, by the way. Who who wins it? Are you and him? Oh, him. Yeah, it's probably the only thing he beats me at, actually still. Right, like, but he's not. He talks. You know what he's like. I mean, the stories starts off his top breaks. I don't know, forty odd. Then next, oh, thing, he, yeah, exactly. It was it's... funny now. You know, over the years, <laughs> he actually, when I was born, um, they called my dad. Well, they called Romford Snooker Club because they couldn't get hold of him. There was no mobile phones back then, and they said that my mum has gone into labour with me. But he was one-one with a guy called Crunchy Warn. Games, a true story. I'll, I'll, I'll come as soon as this game's finished. As he was arrived, my mum was like, they were wheeling her out, and he just went, "Good luck, good luck, darling." Stood, <laughs> 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 you know. And that, you know, you know I, was like, I was always number two to snooker, but right. like everything, you know, like boxing for me is my passion, and for, for my dad, snooker is his undying passion. You know, always yeah. has been. Your dad told me that you hated snooker. And I, I said, well, that's a, I said, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of the players would be worried. <laughs> yeah, he knows that I don't have a passion. I don't have a passion for the game. Yeah. That's the, the, the truth. I have a passion for matchroom. Yeah. Have, it's not a case. It's never a case of, oh, I'm not interested in snooker. I know mm. what it means to him. Mm. And I know what it means to our business and the legacy of our business. So well, that, yeah. that's what he says. He said, even though if you don't like as much, you, you, you're busy and you'll get the best for snooker because you know the business. I, I have a responsibility for him. Yeah. And, and for the business to do that. And it's, I think he's in great hands. I think Steve and everybody's doing a, a great job. It's clear to see that sport is changing. It's becoming more serious. It's become, becoming money-driven. It's becoming science-driven. The characters mm. are changing in the sport. I and mean, you only have to go back to Premier League football. You know, you talk, I sit down at these, some of these dinners and stuff like that and talk to, like, you know, Paul Merson and Brian Robson. And, you know, that era is changing, you know, the World Championship, which remains an institution, was something mm -hmm. that every family would watch. Like, and I know yeah. we were involved in it, obviously, but every World Champs would be me, my nan, my granddad, everyone. The, the problem with sport nowadays, and also this is particularly true in snooker, is the lack of personalities because of yeah. the serious sport. Of course. I mean, when you go back to, like, you were probably, Steve, one of the first 
guys that were more of the serious mould of, you know, you were a machine, a yeah. winning machine. You were just a winner. So, yeah. and, and that was, and Davis was a bit like that as well, but mm. that was that yeah. does take the personality away because people don't get to see your personality. That's right, yeah. You don't care. You're not interested in doing funny videos and going for a pint and a curry and walking back smashed to the hotel and, like, you know, you're just going, I'm going to win. So I'm yeah. going to bet yeah. it's Hi guys, and that—that's the mentality of a winner. Now that winning mentality is, is bred, it's become a more serious game. I mean, it's everywhere. Know, yeah, it's amazing what they've done to the sport. But I, I don't think you're ever going to see sport change back to the days of. Like, I can still rattle off twenty snooker players that were part of my child, and and everyone yeah. I can tell you what their thing was. So like, whether it's like Kirk Stevens in a white suit, whether it's Werbenick drinking his pints, whether it's Alex <laughs> Higgins, whether it's Mio you know, with his spaghetti and Willie Thorne with his hair and Taylor with his glasses <laughs> upside down. That's that's yeah, how you I know. say it as a fan. Yeah. Now you do it, and I'm still involved in the business. I can tell you all the names, but it's hard to create a, an identity for that. They're play. not as recognisable if they walk down the street, the players, though, as, as perhaps they were in the 80s, 90s. Yeah, that's true. But also, I think we've, we've, we should work harder all round as a, as a business and for the players to try and build that. Like, everyone's yeah. got a character. Everyone's funny in their own way, but you just got to see it. And that's when yeah. you look at things, the rivalries, you know, talking about, you know, Ronnie O'Sullivan and, you know, all of a sudden someone says something about him and, you know, there's that, that's for me an opportunity to build those rivalries. So when they played that match, I was like, guys, you need to actually, this is interesting. You've got a guy who's outspoken now against Ronnie says he's mm. changed. He's, you know, he's, he's sport. He's not the same person. He's disrespectful. He's arrogant. Let's keep this going. Go and speak to Ronnie. You know, you've mm. got to build the rivalries and the narratives of, of the matches. And the rivalries yep. in the 80s were there three or fourfold. Yeah. You know? mm. I think that's important. Do you, do you think it's not just about snooker? Do you think, like you say, Eddie, the world's just, or the world of sport has just changed? Because you're right. We were talking earlier on the podcast about the, the atmosphere of the 80s and 90s, like the drinking and smoking by the table, just that sense of like anything goes. But you, it's true what you said, isn't it? You, it's difficult to turn the clock back. Sports come such a long way in terms of because you're right. It's also football. I, I used to watch rugby when it was amateur, mm. and now again those guys are machines. Um, cricket. There used to be a lot more of a culture in sport of just you didn't have to be that fit even at the top level, or you know you, there was no conditioning and the, the science of it, the nutritionists. But once you've got all that stuff, you you're never going to see it disappear again. So I suppose, like you say, it's about emphasising the personalities that we have still got. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's the job of the promotion, the marketeers and, and, you know, don't forget, you're talking about an era where there was no social media. Yeah. I mean, those guys, there was no social media, you know? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I think that you have to embrace the now and you have to look at the future generation. There, there is no doubt that snooker has an aging audience. So how do we change that? How do we make mm. it more watchable for that younger generation? You know, those, those Gen Z, you know, fame that people always talk about. And that's the, that's my kids. I, you know, you, the way people digest content has changed. You've seen sports. I think the greatest example for snooker is the shootout, right? Yeah. Where, you know, it, it echoes 2020 cricket. It echoes yeah. prize yeah. fight boxing. It is my guilty pleasure to watch. I know, but it's like, I couldn't can play in it, but I'd love to watch it. <laughs> I can understand how every real snooker fan hates the shootout especially like I, I can imagine the players because it's a crapshoot you it doesn't it, ability kind of goes out the window yeah. you could be the best player in the world and lose to you know see 
90. Yes, a leveller, yeah. That's the kind of format that's actually going to reinvigorate the sport a little bit. And mm. so you have to suffer that sometimes. And like when we did prize fighter, when boxing was dying, that invigorated boxing. I was sitting there going, this is not, it's not really for me. But I'm looking around, all of a sudden the audience is changing. You know, the, mm. the viewing figures are going up. And, and we see the success of the shootout. And I'm not saying we need to expand formats like the shootout, but mm. we just think on our feet. And snooker, I'm quite well placed as a an outsider to look at the sport and understand, you know, that we have the the, the key, the major events that are, continue to thrive, like the Masters and the Worlds and stuff like yeah. that. But, and those events are making a lot of money. They're in a good place. The investment that probably players don't see and, and also fans don't see is what's going on behind the scenes in terms of, building an infrastructure and longevity for the sport. And that comes from actually a framework of tour school and tournaments week in, week out, and an opportunity for players and, and younger players to actually see they have a future in the sport. Because without younger players coming through, we really need to unearth some young players that yeah. people say, God, who's this kid? You know, he's uh, that's, like, one, that's one of the questions I get asked most when I'm doing exhibitions or whatever. Is there any young talent coming through? And I say, well, unfortunately, not, not really in the UK. Not really. Yeah, I mean, China, a lot sure. of the, the best young players are from China, unfortunately. Yeah. So we, we, we need to find a way of getting young players, I think, in the UK back playing snooker. But I think one of the ways you do that is to show them that there's a future in the sport. Yeah. You know, when, yeah. when you see a Q school and a schedule where you can play every week competitively around the world, you know, it's there for you. Yeah. Now, we all we all understand the challenges of saying to a young person these days, do you want to be a professional snooker player? Mm. Hard enough getting them into a cool sport yeah yeah yeah. they want to be on instagram they want to you know they want this they want that so i think that there's challenges but when you have the history of the sport and you have the broadcast relationships and particularly when you look at growth in you know the far east and china i think i think we've done well to stave that off to a place where i think it would have been very easy perhaps if i was in charge to take the world championships maybe to china I, I, I was I was going to ask you that in, in, in a minute about what your thoughts about staying at the Crucible. Would you move it? You know, even if my old man was here or not here, you know, especially if he wasn't here, I think if I did that every day, I'd be kind of looking up at the heavens. <laughs> He'd haunt you. That, that's something personal to him. And you, yeah. know, you know, just as yeah. well, Steve, my old man loves a pound note, but yeah. he does have some morals and, and ethics. And, and, and that's one that I've always said to him, and he's gone, no. That. the world champs has to stay at the crucible you know mm-hmm. because to him like when he walks into the crucible i see it you know we, we had a game there and he's like oh this place you know so we've got to be careful you know we know that yeah the, that that area of the world is a massive you know powerhouse for snooker and emerging market is going to be a lot of investment there but once you make that move it puts snooker yeah. in this particularly in a really Would- bad place would you think an, an idea for the world for the for the world is maybe like the British Open? You have four or five venues that you alternate, and it and at one time you will go back to the Crucible, like you go back to St Andrews, and that would be so yeah. special to go yeah. back to the Crucible. Yeah, I, th- I mean, there's a lot of opportunities around the world. We, you know, we as a business, we talk to a lot of governments about hosting international events, whether it's boxing. I mean, we just did. I don't know if you saw the Hanoi Open yesterday in Vietnam. It's unbelievable, three thousand people there for our for our mm-hmm. nine ball pool event. So. There are governments looking to bring major tournaments, but I don't know. I think, you know, and then you look at the Crucible and my dad always says, you know, we've got on sale. So we sold out immediately. I was like, well, actually, you almost need a bigger venue. Yeah, you can sell out several times. eh? But at the same time, you know, he's for him, it's a really important 
event and part of his life. And when you go there, to be fair, it's quite amazing to see the people yeah. I'd like to them. That's a mm. really important moment in the in their life. Yeah. Is, is yeah. Crucial, you know, so that is I, something I, you can't buy. Yeah, I think that every, listen, all sport is, is driven and led by money. And that's why we've got to try and keep increasing prize pools and making the events more attractive. And, that, and that's when ultimately that younger generation, which we talked about, you start yeah. to see darts. You know, now young darts players are looking at the money at the top end of the sport. You've got five, mm. six, seven guys, you know, making a million a year playing playing darts. And, and the younger generation say, well, there's actually a future for me. Yeah. Do you think it would make a difference, Eddie? I sometimes see some of the younger players on the circuit talking about how the atmosphere should be like more casual. That they, they, they should encourage the audiences to, you know, make more noise or like get do away with dress codes and stuff. What do you think about all that? Like, do you think younger players would feel more yeah, I, welcomed I see, if it wasn't quite as traditional? I see it and I get it. For me, one of the attractive parts of snooker, I guess, I'm you know, I'm, I'm in my mid forties now, so I'm not necessarily that audience, but yeah, me. I'm the same. I'm, a, I'm quite conservative about this stuff, but yeah. Snooker for me is black tie, right? Yeah. Snooker is shh. Do you know what I mean? And it's yeah. it, the intensity of the yeah. pressure, the moment. Yeah. But I think we can mix that up. You know, again, going back to cricket, I think cricket's a great example of formats. You know, there's no problem going to a 2020 or 100 game. And everyone's screaming and shouting. The players are wearing different colours, yeah. you know. And you go back to the Ashes. Yeah, yeah you've still got the traditional right. tournaments, but you just find other formats. You find other yeah. ways. I don't mind to see tournaments where players are, you know, in relaxed clothing and people are shouting and there's music and the, you know, the the entrances are all. But for me, like institutional stuff needs to remain institutional. Mm. It always fascinated yeah. me in a player walking, you know, with his. I mean, I guess. Looking back now, subconsciously, you almost wanted to see what the player was wearing sometimes in yeah, that. Yeah. Out, you know, what colour was the tuxedo? And yeah. But then maybe that new audience is looking at it saying, why are these people wearing black tie? Like, what's that is ridiculous. Yeah. But, to play but, sport. Yeah. I, I, I think that's what attracted China, though, to snooker, that, that sort of gentleman's yeah. sport. That, I think yeah. that's what made it so popular over there. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. That hadn't occurred to me. I, I was going to ask Eddie, I was going to ask you, um, so what sort of involvement did you have with steve obviously your dad and steve davis were like the, the huge partnership that that came on the scene and won the world and obviously the memories of the crystal but what sort of memories do you have of that that partnership you know steve was my well steve is my godfather so is he really i didn't know that yeah yeah so yeah. growing up he was like he used to buy me the best presents right the best <laughs> this is fantastic trivia <laughs> it's like all of a sudden he just dried up i don't know what happened like i, I mean to be fair i did become like 13, 14, and then the presents just stopped. But, <laughs> oh, what's he doing? Like, in my early year, like, I remember he would buy me, like, he bought me this robot once that I think I was like six, seven, eight. And it was like, and it's called an Omnibot. It was unbelievable. So every year, I wasn't interested in what my mum and dad were going to get me. It was just what. <laughs> but all of a sudden, that, that dried up, you know. But they were like, my dad, my dad doesn't really have a lot of friends. Do you know what I mean? Mm. He has people that he's become friends with in, in business, but very close with them. And like Steve is someone that whatever happens in their life, but mm. like, you won't, you'll struggle to find anyone more loyal than my dad. Like he will always have Steve's back. And even yeah. now, Steve is now sixty, is he? I don't, you know. I mean, yeah. and a DJ. Yeah, <laughs> he will still. He relies on my dad. So when he needs yeah. or he's got a problem or you know whatever he's looking at investing, like. 
they come together and they've still got that, which is amazing for someone that represents a sports person to still post yeah, really a bit, have that responsibility. I grew up with when Steve was winning, like worlds. I was very young at the time, but I like the house was wild. Like we'd be watching a crucible and he'd, he'd win the world championships. And it was like, you know, I guess probably a little bit of a hero to me as well at that, that age. And, yeah. yeah. You know, I would go over to his his uh, house quite a bit, the the castle over in, you know, in Havering, Atty Bower, and obviously Bill and Jean. And yeah, I, I sort of grew up in, with that that sort of. Uh, they were so close, but the phone would ring all the time. You know, it wouldn't matter if it was Jimmy White, if it was Mio, it was like I would pick up the phone and you know, and Ronnie coming through later on. Um, yeah. But Steve, yeah, Steve, the, the the stuff where he's turned into a DJ is just the most. Have you heard the music? Have you heard oh, it? Not, I mean, a bit like you awful don't want to hear stuff. it. Oh, no, awful stuff! But <laughs> when he first did Glastonbury, and he goes, "Oh, I'm playing Glastonbury," we were like, "What?" And my dad, yeah. and Blur at Wembley. There was the other day. Came in the office the other day, about a month ago, and I said, "Oh, how's the DJing going?" And he said, "Yeah, you won't believe it. I'm supporting Blur." <laughs> what What I love about Steve is Steve couldn't care less. No, right? I mean, no. see him. So he, he moved to a village near me a few years ago. I'd just go in the walk past the pub and he'd just be in there. You know, oh, Steve, what are you doing? Oh, it's curry night tonight. You know, just like ran in a random pub. You know that he's never been king of sartorial elegance. Yes. You know? Yeah. He, but I love that about Steve. Like he's the most yeah. down to earth person. Steve lives in Steve's world. Do you know Absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. And he loves it in Steve's world. And it's nice. He's <laughs> so happy. Yeah. He always seems like he's having the, the best time. When I walked past a poster on the tube for Blur and it says featuring Steve Davis, I thought I was having a hallucination or something. I, I walked out. We, we went to see him do a concert once in York. We're doing the UK Championship. And he says, I'm doing this thing at this pub. We went this pub around the corner. We went to see it. It was the most surreal thing because we walked in and there was all these people like just like dancing, <laughs> but not dancing, just like sway, swaying. Steve Davis had a mask of me on behind the decks. <laughs> One of these masks you just tie with an elastic band, and all, but all the people in the audience had snooker player masks on, dancing that. to this music. It was the most well, random thing I've ever seen in my life. I can't imagine Steve Davis with a mask of your <laughs> face on. That's that's too much for me. <laughs> there must have been so many other big characters that you that you met and grew up around, Eddie. Yeah, I mean, from the snooker world, like you know, when Ronnie started coming through, I was a bit older then. You know, yeah. had a lot of involvement you know, with, with him coming through and his family and stuff like that. Um, and in the early days, just like, like I said, everybody from the matchroom team. Chris gave, Eubank, he must've been a character. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I was, <laughs> I was, I was always around. I mean, Eubank, Naz, you know, Bruno from, from a boxing sense. And then you had the snooker world and then that, then came the darts world. And But snooker was like, you know, obviously the business is in a great place now, but, we had a lot of, you know, ups and downs, as a lot of people did in the 80s and 90s, particularly. And, mm. you know, snooker always was, was the one thing that really put a smile on his face. Boxing is a really is a business full of aggravation. Yeah, um, it, think, it looks like an absolute nightmare to be involved in boxing administration, to be fair. Yeah, it is. And I think snooker always makes him feel I think he gets a little bit frustrated sometimes with snooker and with the players. You know, he's he's always a person to be honest with you, like if you. If you follow what he says and trust what he says, 99.9% of the time, you're going to be in a good place, right? Mm. Like the best person for advice, the smartest person I've ever met commercially, 
the best numbers man you could ever wish to find. And I think sometimes he just feels like people should put that trust in him and follow him. And he gets frustrated sometimes in snooker when a player wants to almost go against his vision and path for the sport. And I think that's just tough, really. That's something you got. I I said to players, I said to Mark Williams the other day, I said, you know, be careful what you wish for. If you if you don't agree what Barry says, yeah. you know if you don't want Barry running, I mean it's like it's because what he's done for the sport has just been phenomenal. Yeah, it doesn't mean that you know it doesn't mean that people can't speak out and can't have the the vision. But one thing you have to be careful of with him is once you go against him and once mm. you almost don't once you show that disloyalty or distrust to his plan and his his energy and his commitment to the sport then like that's not a good place to be and i know what snooker means to him i know what the the tour means to him the business means to him and i know hand on heart all he wants is to give players the opportunity to become great so in terms of your sort of leader if you like you couldn't you couldn't wish for a better person but Mm. sometimes he is stubborn and sometimes he won't necessarily listen he you know sometimes say to him you can't just say no no no, it's my, you know, and I know that leadership is, you know, is, is a tough gig to, to play. But I think that, you know, and I, I don't think it's fair also to say to players, be quiet and just do what Bazza says. Yeah, especially because like, you said we, we want to see personalities. You said that yourself, we want to see characters. Yeah, you could do a lot worse. Mm. Will he ever retire? I don't think so. I don't really want him to because I think, no. I think you lose your sharpness. You know, I just think. You know, he loves his fishing and he loves his golf and his back's playing up a little bit. And But what keeps him fresh and what keeps his mind sharp is the business. You know, you're yeah. talking about, people sometimes said to me, oh, Eddie, are you going to run the darts? Are you going to run the snooker? I'm like, you talk about a guy who is running the darts and the snooker, mm. who manually updates the order of merit with his own pen after every <laughs> day. Like, he will say to me, like yesterday, he was around my house. I was around his house and he was like, you want to watch the Hanoi Open? And I'm like, what? You know, the Vietnam pool. And he's watching. He's like, look at the people. Look at the, you know. And I'm like, and he, his energy, like literally, he could tell you the result of every snooker game from every mm. tournament. And that yeah. keeps his mind fresh. That just that just keeps him involved. And why, why would you step down? Yeah, if you've got a passion like that at that stage of your life, it's, it's a massive gift to have something which excites your brain like that. No. The, the business is his life, like I said, and and same for me. Like we don't really have social lives outside of the business and outside of our events. We don't really want a social life outside of our events because they're so fun anyway. Although I will tell a funny story. I don't know why, but someone's like, you know, there's sometimes rumours that he's not very well and stuff like that. So like, and I always take the Mickey out of him because people text me sometimes. Someone texted me the other day and went, "Oh, I heard about your dad. Sorry to hear. You know, I hope I hope he's okay." And I'm like, blimey. I thought I've yeah. spoke to him right before, so I've called him. I said, Azza, you all right? He's going, yeah, what's up? I'm just fishing. I said, oh, someone just said, sorry to hear about your dad. I thought you might have snuffed it. He's like, no, oh, I'm right, Yeah, he's got a few back problems, but he's, uh, you know, too many marathons. So now uh, we ask every guest to play our quiz, Eddie. Um, it's not the most complex format in the world. You start with a red, which is on your specialist subject, which is basically stuff to do with you or match room or maybe an easy boxing question. And then you can choose uh, green, blue or black. And the green ones are boxing, blue is general knowledge, black is snooker, because we've established that you're not 
as into snooker. <laughs> so it's sort of up to you whether you go for the glory. I, I, when I say glory, the highest score, highest ever break is nine, which was the guy from Kasabian, Chris, and Henry himself didn't even get into double figures. So the, the bar is quite low here. So it's similar to my snooker. So you'll do a red, then a colour, okay. red colour, and it's uh, 147 seconds on the clock. Here we go. So uh, your opening red to the nearest... 100,000. How many Instagram followers do you have? One million. Three hundred. And twenty nine thousand nine hundred. <laughs> <laughs> I will. T- I will take that. Yep. Name your name your color. Okay. We'll start with boxing. Okay. In which round did Anthony Joshua defeat Klitschko in their heavyweight showdown in 2017? Round eleven. Correct. Straight up to four. So back to another red. Uh, who was the first person to defeat Mike Tyson? James Buster Douglas. Yeah, I remember that one. An absolute unknown. Let's let's go. Let's go for a general knowledge. So on to five. General knowledge next. Go on then. Okay, so this is this would take me to double figures. In what decade was Madonna born? Well, I reckon she's in her seventies. Definitely in her sixties. Where are we? The 60s. Oh, it's the 50s, 1958. Blind. Yeah, 58. Back to the red step. Yeah, 147 seconds. <laughs> okay. Uh, George, <laughs> Foreman became, George Foreman became the oldest heavyweight champion at what age? 40, 45, or 50? 45. Is correct. So you get another colour. There you go, boxing, actually. Uh, what is the northernmost city in the UK that Anthony Joshua has fought in? Glasgow. Is correct. And I think that takes him up to the top score so far. We'll go back to uh, the Reds. During a match known as the bike fight, uh, Mike Tyson bit which body part of Evander Holyfield? The ear. Yes, I remember that one as well. Uh, probably got time for one more colour. Go on, sling in a, sling in a snooker for banter. Let's have a go. Uh, how many matches did Hendry lose at the Crucible in the 1990s? Not even a, not even a multiple choice. Unbelievable. No, it's, it's brutal. These seven pointers are brutal. Um, probably one or two. I'm going to go for one. Three. You're not far three. off. Three in a decade. It is time up. Ten. That is the highest score we've ever right had. people on this pod, have you? No. <laughs> well, Hendry was the first player. Um, four reds, two greens, a break of 10. So Eddie becomes the reigning champion, goes to the top of the leaderboard, and your dad will be manually putting that in with his pen, I assume. Yeah, he will, yeah. Did he, has he ever been on yet? Has he had a go? No, yeah. would be brilliant, yeah. You'd get him on, wouldn't you? I mean, he's not shy of an interview. Oh, I'd love to talk to him, yeah. It'd yeah. be amazing. Well, thanks a lot, Eddie. Congratulations on your new position at the top of the leaderboard, and thanks for everything that you're doing. What you and your dad are doing for snooker. Cheers, Eddie. Thanks very much. See you soon. Cheers. Uh, That's all from us this week on the Snooker Club. Please remember, if you haven't already, to download and leave a review. Nice review, ideally. Uh, The best clips will be available to watch on YouTube. Just search for World Snooker Tour. Thanks for listening. Please contact the show via snookerclub at wst.tv. Next week, tune into the 147, your fortnightly roundup from WST. Yeah, and also don't forget to give us your dream sponsors, anything else you want to get in touch with. Uh, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks when our guest will be the legendary football referee, Mike Dean. See you then. Have a good one. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.